A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth in Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Havasel Ross. And I'm Sabina Bekova. On the show this week, an epic journey of friendship climbs the eight mountains. The elderly are asked to make the ultimate sacrifice in Plan 75. Sabina and Hafa were going to be talking us through some of the most anticipated features coming up in Cannes. And on Film Club, it's more trouble for the elderly in Logan's Run. All coming up on Truth in Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So welcome, welcome to you all. I mean, I feel like we we are in slightly kind of cursed post-coronation spring, but like I had talking to you guys to look forward to. That's something, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I I was glad to be off the grid for the coronations. Just wasn't following it, just freed from it this this time around. So it was good. But, well, Hafa, I guess I'll come to you first. Like, what have you been up to um, it, since we last had you on? I mean, you're, you're, you're a bit of a regular, both at the magazine and the podcast. And, yeah, what, what's been going on the past couple of weeks? I say this as if I don't text you every day. <laughs> well, I have been, luckily enough, very busy. I have been writing a fair bit. I've been programming. Um, I was just filing some pieces this week. And time just flies. So right now, just preparing for Cannes at full speed, waiting for them to drop the schedule at last. So this has been life. Well, I mean, like, you at least are kind of in a place where you're back programming. You had that, like, terrible thing last year with what happened with Edinburgh and, you know, all of the awful things that we, we were kind of facing in autumn. So there's a little bit of an upswing, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. We're very looking forward to, to bringing IFF back um, it is the 18th to the 23rd of August, if anyone's listening and wants to come to the beautiful Scottish capital. We'll be here showing movies, um, born again from the ashes, luckily enough, and we're all very excited. And Savina, last time I saw you, we were at an ill-fated karaoke night where... Um, <laughs> <laughs> long story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for listeners who uh, don't know who you are, can you give a little intro to who you are and what it is that you do? I am a film critic, film writer, let's say, programmer and academic all-in-one. And I write for a few film outlets here in the UK and US and Bulgaria where I'm from. And one of the beautiful outlets that I write for is Little White Lies. So I'm very happy to have that. And I'm also programming for the Sofia Film Festival and for the Cambridge Film Festival, which is happening in October. So listeners should have this in mind as well. And um, yeah, I'm also finishing my PhD at King's here in London. So that's the end of an era for me. (laughs) 
Wow. Well, uh, that really puts my kind of film critic broadcaster list to shame. Like, I kind of thought I had a lot of stuff to do, but you guys are like, you know, triple, quadruple, sync tuple. I mean, where does it go to threats in like so many different ways? But I mean, not to kind of like bring this all too much of a downer, because we are talking about kind of a couple of dystopian films, but like, it feels like we need to mention that we are recording this during the writer's strikes. Like, this is a very dark time when it comes to the future. I suppose not just a film, but also of television, where, like, writing is in a very dire state now. Yeah, it's yeah. so scary to think about now. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I am trying my darndest to to focus on the displays of solidarity and to believe that at the end of the day, people who are united by the, the power and force of creativity and, and good art are just going to come together and a good outcome is going to come out of this because it is very bleak to just read into it and go into the bowels of injustice that seem to occur with writers, especially in the US. But overall, I just hope good comes out of it and a lot of solidarity to everyone striking um, always. Yeah, and the role of the union has been increasingly more, more, I don't know, bigger, more pronounced in my life because I've never belonged to a union before. And now I belong to the university union, which is also has a lot of strikes happening in the past few years too. And just um, the support that people can get and the strength that is embedded in every act of unionization is something that really inspires me, really. I hate that it's born out of a negative necessity, <laughs> But at least it's um, it's something good that people were doing together to fight. I think what I kind of didn't appreciate when I kind of first started reading about this and, you know, I've been following it the entire time is like how rapid a descent we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, I know within the field of media, within writing, you know, people have been talking about, for, you know, for decades that it's, you know, getting worse paid, it's getting harder to sustain yourself, harder to kind of create a living. With these writers within the film world, within America, we're talking three, four years, five years, they're going from being able to make good money for things that are hugely popular to basically being on the breadline. It's, 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 it's incredible, like how rapid the descent has been. Yeah, and I think it's really important for big communication and media vehicles to, to tell the, the general audiences out there that just because someone works in entertainment, it doesn't mean they live the lifestyle of the big A-listers. It's a very important conversation, I think, being able to, to debunk that myth to a more broader mass is really important because people might be writing for a massively popular TV show and still, as you said, struggle to, to buy groceries yeah and i know happy you worked kind of on this other side of things because you were a producer for a time so i mean does it feel like also that everything kind of that behind the scenes of film production has just so rapidly changed with this kind of advent of i guess the internet of streaming and sped up by the pandemic and all of these things yeah i'm really lucky i don't think a lot of people know but Brazilian labor laws kick the ass, sorry, language, of British and American labor laws. It was such a shock for me when I moved from Brazil into the UK and I realized that all the safeguarding that I had back home just didn't exist back here. And I just wish that every worker could have job security and stability and to be able to rely on a system where they know that they aren't floating alone. And obviously, 
there are problems in Brazil, there are problems everywhere, but, but there is a strong, solid foundation that allows for workers to, to be able to ask for things that are legally insured of them. I guess it's that it kind of comes down to that same thing of like the creative work not really being valued in the same way as work. And Savino, I suppose for you, it's like obviously being in academia, like there's also kind of a bit of an undervaluing of that work. Yeah, but it really strikes me how much more pronounced it is in the film world because it's almost like good continuity. It's supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to be invisible. So there's so much labor and the hardships are supposed to be invisible behind this sheer, the sheen of um, respectability and, you know, the excuses that we all give in front of each other when we're overworked, whatever the sector of film industry we're working at. At least these kind of happenings make room for conversations about honesty and workload and work value. So that's something that I really appreciate. And I wish this conversation was being had by other people than the directly affected too as well. Well, we can only hope. I was reading some numbers about how kind of within three days, the kind of entertainment industry had lost like billions of dollars or something. So I, I and I, I do hope the pressure is on because I believe it was one of the directors of the MCU was just saying like, oh, great, the potential of AI. Isn't this wonderful? You could just type in your favorite actor and your like scenario and then see yourself in a movie and watch that on a Friday night. And that to me is terrifying yeah it's funny because it was joe russell who said that and today he backtracked and he spoke i think it was with Varais, one of the trades he was like we should all be terrified of ai so yeah i don't think he can keep his story straight yeah we should all be talking about people with flimsy backbones so that's the terrifying <laughs> thing the so people that bend to the whims yeah <laughs> <laughs> It depends on who's reading. Well, on a slightly less depressing note, we should move on to kind of what is a slightly, you know, a more heartwarming story of male friendship with the Eight Mountains. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. An epic journey of friendship and self-discovery is set in the breathtaking Italian Alps. The Eight Mountains follows four decades of profound and complex relationship between Pietro and Bruno. So, Hafa, I mean, kind of the story between two men growing up together, evolving as a friendship. I mean, it is kind of a tale as old as time, but you think that this film brought anything new to that story? Yeah, I I think I have to add a disclaimer. Felix van Grongen directed one of my favorite films of all time, The Broken Circle Breakdown. It's a film that is very special to me. It was one of the first films I reviewed ever. Um, I watched it at the Rio Film Festival in 2013, and it really changed my trajectory in general, and I'm very fond of it. I think it's just a beautiful exploration of grief and loss and love. So everything that he does, I'm always on board with to a certain extent, or at least excited for. So going to Cannes last year, this was most definitely one of my top titles. And 
it was a 10 p.m. screening. I was very tired and it is a very long film and still it is just so gorgeous and so engrossing and so absorbing. And I think, as you were saying, there are many a film to explore the, the complex dynamics of male friendships. And here it is just, it seems so effortless because these two men are not supposed to be mirrors or opposing forces. They are this this balanced seesaw and they just go through life in, in a rhythm that feels entirely of their own. Yeah, it's just so beautiful, so engrossing. And Savina, someone who, again, I seem to be the only person who doesn't go to Cannes. <laughs> um, like, was that the first time you came to it? Did you see it about a year ago now? No, actually, I watched it only recently for the first time, but I heard a lot of people talking about it throughout this year of, of it being talked about. Um, I heard it was one of the highlights in Cannes, but I didn't miss it precisely because it was a light, late screening in a long film. <laughs> so that was me on my lazy journalism there but i'm so happy that i discovered it and i really cannot wait to see it in a bigger bigger screen and enjoy the majestic vistas the quiet strength of the friendship unfolding in front of me and the music and the sounds i i did not expect to like it that much i'm really really nicely surprised and it's the first film by these characters that i've seen so i'm uh, one (laughs) I mean, it's with you with your kind of like academic background, you might be able to articulate better than most. Like this film is, for me, I could just say gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, like, do you think there was something like particular that you can pick out in like what made it such like a feast for the eyes? I would agree on gorgeous, <laughs> definitely. I think every academic should normalize the use of the word gorgeous too. But I think the duration and the scale worked really well together in a film that could be easily overwhelming or dragging, but it didn't. So there's something, something of that balance that Rafa talked about really that made it such a special jewel. I don't know, it does something quite interesting with scale because it's small gestures, small talks, even um, short conversations, a lot of things left unsaid, more scale, more large scale than detail. And yet it's an, it's an epic story that unfolds over tens of years. Yeah, I think it's the first film that Felix directed with his partner, Charlotte. She's an actress and she brings a lot of, I think, sensibility to the way that the actors are put together on screen and, and in shaping their performances. And another collaborator of Felix that is back here is Ruben Inbins, the cinematographer. And I think because they have such an, an intimate rapport and they worked together before, it, it really shows in a way that the landscapes are framed and in the thoughtful process of understanding how to mirror the outdoors with the with the inner journeys of these characters and even the aspect ratio it just pulls you in so even though you're looking at these vast and, and ever-expanding landscapes you are also at the same time having your gaze directed very pointedly at, at certain interactions and, and small gestures as you're saying that feel sometimes bigger than the Italian mountains which is very clever this combination of cinematography and, and aspect ratio I mean, it's, it's, it's often like a very hard sell when you're in a critical broadcasting space to kind of suggest to people that like how slow the pacing is, is a positive in a film like this. But I, I really felt that way. Like, how, Did you kind of enjoy how it really took its time? It's interesting to me because it is a long film, but to me it didn't feel that slow. 
It felt like the narrative was always being pushed forward. It is contemplative. And I think sometimes this space that you have to contemplate what is happening and to stay with these characters makes you feel like it is a slow film but I would argue that it isn't necessarily I've seen films that were 90 minutes long 80 minutes long that to me felt much slower than this and I think it pays off if you are willing to to embark on the journey that these two characters go together and even if you are not as emotionally arrested as I was when I was watching just being able to to be in a big screen it is a big screen experience i I think this film deserves a cinema and if anyone is listening to this and can go and watch it, I think it really is worth your time because it is immersive and just, uh, I still remember the first time I, I watched it and the first time that they're going up the mountains and you just see the sun touching the snow and there's so much texture to that and you see their footsteps going up and then the payoff towards the end when when you just see the retracing of a father's steps and, and everything that is marked and washed away. There are many metaphors and they're not rushed or undercooked. And if you allow yourself to just be immersed and, and be deterred in this dual relationship between the two, the payoff is lovely. Sabine, were you kind of convinced by the sort of central chemistry between these two men who kind of evolve across the course of the film? I mean, they're played by different actors at different points, but did you feel that that kind of carried through? Definitely. I must admit I have more patience for grown-up stories than for children's stories. In that context of an epic film, I found myself wanting to get to the part where they grow up and their relationship becomes more complicated by external factors because they're so isolated in the mountains that we feel like it's two of them, but because they're so different and one of them is more urban and a traveler, it's bound to happen that there are going to be external forces that come and try to separate them, which is also the tale as old as time as well, right? But I don't think I ever felt I did not buy into it. I was rooting for them and I recognized a lot of friendships that I valued over time at different moments of my life in some tiny exchanges, some unspoken tensions and some sheer delight shared by them. But I have to say I'm a person that really hate hiking <laughs> not a huge mountain person so I didn't manage to identify with everything and their personalities and their how they be a person with each other but not with the environment that much well I, I, I'm a person that also hates hiking likes an excuse to listen to podcasts but also likes the idea of hiking so yeah <laughs> there was kind of like you know this was kind of like the platonic ideal of what a hike could be exactly kind of enjoying this 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 beautiful love with a with a long-term bond I mean I, I felt very warmed by it and I think there's something maybe about male friendship on screen that is often kind of fraught and this felt like a much more sensitive portrayal than maybe what we're used to yeah it's interesting how everyone at Cannes when this film was premiering last year thought it was going to be an Italian Brokeback Mountain yeah everyone spent almost the entire film going like are they and it, it just it just makes us think about the fact that every time you see two people together shedding in a vulnerable and open relationship you just quickly assume it's going to turn romantic 
when in reality there's so much beauty to platonic friendships and it's just having a companion who you can take with you for the rest of your life and i think the film does it very well in, in the sense of showing that even though they're not together all the time they're still finding ways to think about one another they're seeing each other in moments of their lives even when they're living drastically different existences Yeah, it's a tale of togetherness, right? That togetherness is possible, even with all the world sometimes arranged against it. I love that. And I love that they unfold this. They almost reinvent the calendar, right? We don't have the normal change of seasons, the normal change of time. Everything is orchestrated around their meetings with each other. Even if they skip a year, we still know that this is what the core of the film is like. It's bound to their own calendar, And I think that solidified it for me too, that their relationship is stronger than any romantic ideal we can impose over it. Well, that's such a lovely um, thought. I mean, I feel like we've started off so bleak and <laughs> <laughs> like very, very warmed by this touching tale of unlikely bonds that people form. But yeah, we should get some scores on this before we move on to elite film festivals and dystopias. Hafa, do you want to go first in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Yeah, it was a big five in anticipation for me because I'm a massive Felix Van Gogh fan, as I was saying, and then in enjoyment. I find it very hard not to be entirely biased, but I think I was the one to review this for a little while, especially you know exactly what I gave. But I think I gave it a four, and I still stand with the four. Um, and in retrospect, I wish we had half stars, but since we don't, I'll just stick to my four. Oh, we do on the podcast. How about it? <laughs> like we, are, you are freed from the boundaries oh of, of, of single figures. Go for it. Give it, give it a three point nine seven five. I don't mind. You know what? Give it pie. You know what? I think I'm, I'm leaning. <laughs> was like a 487 you know it was like so nice. close i i was very smitten by the film and i love it Savina, what about you yeah well i did come from a different perspective so i did not have high expectations but i heard that it was good so my my anticipation was probably around three i think the enjoyment was a strong four it really delivered all of that and in retrospect i think it will stay with me for a while and i will never not think of Luca Martinelli's blue eyes, um, whether I like it or not now, because his presence is so haunting in that film in a great way. I think I would um, give a four, 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 3.9, 3.9 at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you about the kind of the 3.9 across the board. I think it, it was a really wonderful film, but I wondered, like now hearing Hafa talk about it, whether it was underserved by the fact that I was watching it headphones on laptop. And like, actually, had I been sitting with a big screen taking in those vistas, I might have like, you know, bumped it up to, I don't know, a 4.175, something, like, something like that. But moving on to me being incredibly jealous, you guys are going to give us a bit of a can preview. So I'm going to ask you about a few of the things that you're most excited to see. I want to hear about your most anticipated things about the upcoming festival. There's so many big names, there's so many exciting debuts. We've seen that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio and the Martin Scorsese 47,000 times. I think I could do an oil painting on it from memory, but I want to hear from you guys. What are the few things you're most excited for? So Hafa, number one, what is your most 
excited can thing that you're going to be watching? I know this is one of my favorite directors of all time, which is a line that I will repeat in another five minutes when I speak about another director. But he truly is. He's a Brazilian director uh, that has made some of the most beautifully layered and vivid and tangible films in Brazilian cinema over the past 20 years. I was thrilled for him when Invisible Life took the main award at Uncertain Regard in 2019 because it felt like his work was finally reaching a slightly wider audience, even though he's been making fantastic films back home for the past two decades. With Firebrand, it's his English debut, and it stars Alicia Vikander and Jude Law as Queen Catherine Parr and Harry VIII. And it tells the story of their relationship and the woman who survived quite famously. And it was branded as a sort of psychological horror that captures the reality of this marriage. So you just think Latin American director tackling the English royal family. It's giving Spencer. It's giving Lorraine. Um, and I'm really excited for him to bring his beautiful imagery and his standard understanding of complex human relationships to a tale that is so far removed from his own existence that I think will be interesting to have his his guiding eye. And he's playing competition, main comp. So very, very excited. That, that sounds absolutely incredible. And I mean, I know I'm not going with the Little White Lies kind of company line, but I quite like Spencer. Me too. Yeah, me three. <laughs> yeah, take that establishment of Little White <laughs> Um Sabina, what about you? What's, what's one of your most anticipated films? Let's see. Going to start with the one that was a bit unlikely for me to be so excited for because I was never super familiar with the director before, but it's Jonathan Glazier's new film. He is the man who kind of blew up uh, my aesthetic sensibility <laughs> with, <laughs> um, with Under the Skin the weird alien psychosexual drama drenched in black blood thick something and Scarlett Johansson was reborn again in that film I did a good service <laughs> describing under the skin I'm sure but well, also um, the most upsetting scene that's ever happened with the baby on the beach if you oh haven't seen <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> yeah, this film is also that. So um, Jonathan Glazer has a penchant for very upsetting stuff. And I only recently watched Birth for the first time, which is one of his earlier films starring Nicole Kidman as a newly widowed wife who is now about to remarry. But a young boy comes to a doorstep saying that he is her reincarnated husband. And he's still in love with her. So it's the most unlikely love story, but I found it ridiculously romantic. I don't know how much introspection I need to do <laughs> in order to uh, live with myself with that now realization. But anyway, these are the, the things that people expect from person like Jonathan Glazer's very innovative, a kind of uncompromising aesthetically and towing the line between the weird and the eerie, I guess. And his new film is called The Zone of Interest, is also a main composition of her in Cannes. And I had no idea this film was even happening. It's been kept under wraps for such a long time. And a couple of months ago, um, a little birdie of a Polish origin <laughs> told me that um, they knew very well the co-producer of the film that was being shot in Poland over a course of a few months under huge secrecy. But they, they shot in um, ex-World War II camp. And they had 24-7 CCTV set up. So a weird panopticon slash prison 
setup for the actors. I'm not sure what to expect here, but um, the little that we know of the plot is that it's uh, the film is set in Auschwitz and it's starring Sandra Hüller, who is one of my favorite, probably my favorite German actresses. She is um, always a very promising presence, whether she's playing a comedy role or being very, very unpredictable in her stern gaze. So... Yeah, no yeah, idea. I, I do think of her as being quite light-hearted, witty, kind of a very kind of not necessarily broad comedy Adam Sander presence, but those are not two people I would necessarily have connected. But I'm, I don't know, I'm excited just like you. Yeah, don't know what to expect, but that's the thing that keeps me keeps me thinking about it. And that is the thing that keeps me up at night: the fact that I'm not going to be at Cannes. Moving on to you again. <laughs> what else are you excited to see? I am going to stay very on brand and speak about another one of my favorite kind of working directors. Clevy Middles of Fiji is back to Cannes. So we're just like 2019 when Karina News Invisible Life and Clevy Middles of Fiji and Juliana Dornelis is back now. We're both at Cannes because both directors are back. This time, Clevy Middles of Fiji is in a special screening with ghost pictures or pictures of ghosts, a documentary about his beloved hometown of Hasifi and the cinematic culture of the city. Kleber has been a very vocal defender of the culture of street cinemas and he started off as a film critic and he programmed uh, and he's very involved in the preservation and the, the life of the city's main independent cinema, the Song Louis. So this is a love letter to that cinema, to the cinematic culture of his city, to the cinema that's coming from, from his Hisifi. And he is someone who I trust immensely to find the the beauty and the routine connections and, and meetings that cinema can bring to people. He started his, his feature career with a doc and he's back to docs after three fiction feature films. So I will be set front row for Claudio Manosofilio, even if he's shooting the most mundane, grating a cheese. If he chooses to shoot grating a cheese for three and a half hours, I'll sit and watch because he's someone I trust entirely. So I'm very excited that he's back to Cannes. That sounds incredible. I mean, I just, uh, last year I did feel that like when I didn't go and you and everybody else went, that I was just, I, I kind of looked at the lineup and I was just like, well, I'm okay with this. A little bit of a mid-year. This year, furious. <laughs> Savina, what's your next pick that I'm just going to kind of like ascend to a new plane of jealousy as you tell me one of the next things you're going to see whilst you're there I think we just now have to kidnap you and put you, put you, put you in our room in Cannes <laughs> well yeah for about £400 a night you can put me in perhaps a cupboard <laughs> <laughs> as is the way with Cannes it is, unfortunately it is but that should be spoken of another time. <laughs> I am quite excited to see a film called The Sweet East. I don't think I know much about it just yet. Um, I know the synopsis and I know the people involved in it and I think that's that's what gets me excited. It's a um, film directed by usually cinematographer Sean Price Williams and I absolutely love his work with Alex Ross Perry. I think Queen of Earth is forever going to be one of the 
most important films in my life because of the way it's shot and the way the camera is present. So um, Jean Bryce Williams has always had a very, very um, singular way of interacting with reality with his camera. And he's also lancing this upcoming film, which is supposedly a journey through the US, follow a main character named Lillian, who is a high school senior from South Carolina. And uh, we discover the wider world through her eyes. It's um, pretty exciting. It sounds exciting just from the synopsis, but also I should say that um, the writer is a friend and mentor of mine, uh, Nick Pinkerton, famed journalist. And now is his oh, first. That's quite the mentor. Congratulations <laughs> to you. Yeah, back back when I was first He's starting, I was first starting. He was my first editor in 2018 at a film criticism workshop in Ghent, which is happening every year. So if anybody in critics are listening, they should um, look this workshop up. But yeah, this this is something that I'm excited for. I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful film. It sounds cool, and I think it's going to have good vibes. Extremely good vibes I'm getting just from your description. Um, Hafa, final choice. Make it a good one. What is your third most anticipated film for Cannes? You know, this was really hard because you're correct. I think the lineup this year is really special. But I'm someone who is nothing but my brand, which is to cheer and root for and to, to vibrate with South American cinema. So a film that I've been waiting for quite a few years, has been popping on Cannes prediction lists for the past two or three years, is Lisandro Alonso's Eureka. He's an Argentina director who was in Cannes a few years ago with Halha, starring Viggo Mortensen, and he continues to investigate the indigenous people of South America with his new film that is meant to be told in four distinct sections that were shot in many different countries including South American countries, the US, uh, Spain, and Alonso has the intention to investigate, if not the commonalities, the the shared traits of the existence of indigenous people and their migration patterns. And, and I suppose this is all I know, but I think that if someone has an eye for a a spectacularly beautiful big screen experience investigating cultural displacement, diaspora, existence of South American peoples. That is Lisandro Alonso. I'm really glad he's back. He's been working this project for quite a few years now. And yeah, he's in Cannes, official selection. He was a late addition. So when Thierry was reading his very long list of ramblings with the program, his name was not there. My heart broke a little bit, but both him and Amat Scalante were late additions to Cannes. And I was once again cheating. And yeah, South American cinema, very present, very vibrant in Cannes this year. Yeah, Terry was too uh, busy getting in his kind of passive aggressive digs into Netflix to kind of <laughs> mention every other film that should appear. But you know, you know what? That's what I love about him. If there's one thing, that will be it. <laughs> <laughs> Savina, what about you? Final pick. I'm excited to hear. I'm also super excited about the the films that Rob mentioned. Actually, super super happy that they made the the list in the end. Uh, that made it even even better for me to anticipate all these wonderful, wonderful filmmakers presenting their new work. Yeah, my last pick would have to be another competition title. French one. What a surprise it can, right? <laughs> it's called Last Summer and is the newest film by French maverick filmmaker Catherine Breya and is in typical, uh, typical of her, looks like a complicated, naughty, romantic 
slash abusive slash familial drama where things escalate quite a lot through small misunderstandings and um, hierarchies of power that are constantly renegotiated, usually between men and women, uh, but sometimes between women and women too. And I, I really like Catherine Breyer's films. I know she's not the one of the most beloved authors lately, the past few years, but she's, she's back after a pretty, pretty strong film that was a play in Cannes called Abusive Weakness with Isabel Huppert, but this one has less of an impressive cast. And um, I'm just happy that she gets to, to make another film because she's been making them for a long time and it seems like this, her slotted can will always be there for her anyway. But I'm, I'm hoping to be surprised by something fresh and painful. I like a painful watch. I think I go to Brea for the pain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly, I, I, I'm as much for a feel-bad film as I am for a feel-good one. Probably more so. Right? Right? I, I agree. I don't know what it says. <laughs> well, I must say, I'm not going, but I would just give a tiny shout-out to a little film called Goodbye, Julia, which is Sudan's first ever entry into the Cannes Film Festival. It's made by a man called Mohamed Kordofan, and... It's set during the riots that happened after the death of the South Sudanese leader, John Garang. And there's a lot of talented people in Sudan who haven't gotten out there yet. If you watch the news, we're having a really rough time at the moment. So please support our cinema. Not to be glib, but it's a very, very good film. And I, I hope a lot of people on the quiz enjoy that one too. But yes, next up, let's enjoy another dystopia with Plan 75. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Government program Plan 75 encourages senior citizens to be euthanized to remedy an aged society. An elderly woman whose means of survival are vanishing, a pragmatic Plan 75 salesman, and a Filipina laborer face choices of life and death. So, Savine, this is like an unashamedly bleak premise. The idea of the elderly having to sacrifice their later years in order to, I guess, serve the greater good 
I mean, did you just find this bone chillingly depressing or was there something more to it here? At first, before I started watching it, I really thought it would be too hard to watch. So I braced myself and I was a bit afraid because I know these kinds of films hit me hard. I do enjoy them. I think I have a lot of, a lot of time for them and I, I would give them pretty big amounts of consideration when I can. But this one was, it wasn't easy, but also it was really, really lovely. It was great. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the cliche that it finds hope in bleakness because it probably does. But also there's something else going on there. There's such tenderness in the way that it's written, you know, as a concept, it's such a scary thing. And yet the script and the film itself are so much more than that scary concept. I think it could, it could unfold in a much scarier way if it was a major Hollywood production or something. You know, if it was the, the Americanized version of this it would be much more bleaker and about the hope and about these very simple binaries, let's say. But this one dwells in the nuances and the gray zones of health dying togetherness and i i thought that was that was wonderful i thought that film taught me something not sure what <laughs> i can try to articulate it now as we speak but i i think i learned something valuable in this film yeah i i, I kind of personally took from it this this wasn't so much a film about aging as a film about loneliness i mean how did you interpret it? It's interesting because I think I mentioned here before because we spoke about my favorite film of all time, Harold and Maud. Um, Harold and Maud, we get it. <laughs> I know when I had a monologue, I spoke for like 16 minutes, but I spent a good time of my life writing about suicide on film. And I'm someone who's a very vocal defender of assisted suicide. I think we are only able to live with as much dignity as we are allowed to die with. And I think it is important to broaden the conversation around assisted suicide. But what we have here is a very different situation, a very bleak situation. And I think the, the biggest lotto to be placed upon Plan 75 is the way in which the first time that act there, and I wish, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce their name correctly, Chehayakawa, just puts us in a place that we believe and we try to convince ourselves that is in the future, but at the same time, it feels very present and very modern and very much something that could be happening now, which for a dystopian film is is a must because it gives us a grounded sense of terror and of immediacy and of probability that really makes the film for more of a harrowing watch. And, and reading about it, I, the director was saying that she made a film in an attempt to try and have something like Plan 75 not happen in Japan because it is the, the population in the world where aging is the more passion problem. They have a massive part of the population that is over 60. So when you get to a film like this, it, it truly feels like it could happen. And I think it's also really clever the way that the characters are built to evoke such empathy without going into a place of cliche and a place of subverting or, or reverting to, to certain stereotypes that that would make them feel like they are not tangible, possible characters. The time that is dedicated to layouting the small specificities of their routines and the little things that they do every day and what consists a life that is worth living is a question that just lingers not only for the people who are older and have that as a possibility, but for the younger people. What makes you 
want to stay here and would you have to justify to other people your own existence and when you start opening that Pandora box the film feels like very fertile ground for these conversations that can be so tricky to have so I think being able to assist these conversations in a certain way is really important through filmmaking. I mean, I, I, I love you on this subject. I could just listen to you talk about Harold and Maud all day, but I mean, that's such an interesting thing you've opened up in my mind to me of like, these are kind of almost like, it's like a shadow version of the other, of it's kind of like one is being empowered by suicide and the other one is essentially just like being disempowered by this. This is a film about like having all of your self-worth taken away in that pursuit. More of a comment than a question, but please expand on my point. <laughs> no, I think I think you're very right, but I think both films do something, which is having someone justify their reasons to either continue to live or to cease to, to exist. I think I was always very drawn to the idea of discussing death by suicide because I think it is at the core, not to get too existential here, but at the core, it is what defines us as humans to have the awareness of our own mortality and, and to be able to understand that one day our existence will get to an end. So Harold and Maud understands suicide as the ultimate freedom in a certain way. Uh, and here it becomes a cage where you have to justify yourself to members of society that are considered, if not more worthy, more valuable as as a currency, as a societal currency, to justify your value in a, in a society that historically has been very kind, very respectable and, and very honorable of the elderly is a is an interesting concept. But yeah, if you want to hear me talk about Herdom, you can go back to truth and movies and just listen to me talking about Herdom more. But I could I could talk about this forever, which is why I need people to stop. I'm calling you tomorrow. I don't think we're in contact enough. <laughs> severe we've kind of got these like different threads through which this kind of dystopian concept is told through like you know the elderly woman the person who's actually have to sell these plans you know um the filipino immigrant like was there one that like stood out for you as being the most compelling i'm not sure i think they work so well as a constellation but i did find myself drawn most to the elderly woman and her dignity and her so many expressions so many expressions of that dignity that I feel like she wasn't really aware of how dignified she was. There was such modesty there in in, in her character that she was the cent- central one for me in, in my vision. And I wouldn't call the other ones peripheral because they, in one way or another, were not, definitely. But there's something that I keep thinking about since, since Rafa was speaking about value and about currency. There's an act of erasure that is underpinning the plot of Plan 75, right? The idea that the elderly people are now disposable. It's all connected to the their declining workforce capacity, etc. And they're supposed to sacrifice themselves for the better future of the world, right? And this idea that the future is always better than the past is something that ties in very, very nicely with the idea of a future, future utopia that we want to prevent. Also, these temporal planes that are working almost against each other, the past and the future, that really made me think also about the value of human life and how do we as people even begin to to fathom this because only at the end right we get the idea of meaning right? meaning is meaning exists only because there is an end and from then on we start to unravel so therefore death 
and the power of choosing that can make you understand that meaning. So I think I'm slowly catching up with what Rafa was saying earlier on, <laughs> just going on my own journey with the help of this film and these wonderful protagonists that made me so sad. They made me sad in so many ways that I didn't think I could get sadder. Yeah, no, I mean, it's desperately sad. But I mean, I growing up, I remember not particularly now, but like as a child, I remember seeing the adverts on TV where was suggesting that you you now start putting money away for your own funeral cross where it's kind of doesn't then become a burden on your family and I I I mean not to kind of like judge that as a choice because obviously you know capitalism is a nightmare but I remember just having even as a child just a sense of like imagine feeling like such a burden that you just felt that you should be disposed without any inconvenience to anyone. And admittedly, then I didn't really understand money and how expensive funerals are. But like, that kind of took me back to this place of like, we do expect this generation to just sort of almost disappear into the ether. And perhaps one of the most frightening things about getting older is that we know that that's going to be expected of us. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. It was almost they are supposed to move away, make space for a future that is always better, just because the concept of the future implies that, right? Amen. And um, let's get some scores on this because, I mean, it gets worse. Logan's run, it's 30. So <laughs> but they're also hot. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Don't dress so well. I'm sorry, they're hot, but not a person in there looks 30. <laughs> Everybody looks 47 in Logan's run, but we will get onto that topic. Um, but you want to do your scores first? I, I would say a three, yes, anticipation three, enjoyment. It's such a difficult thing to talk about in, in a film like this, but I would say three. And then in retrospect, I would also say between three and 3.5 for me. Yeah, it's a special film and it holds a lot of potential, I think. For me, Anticipation was a solid three. I always flock to films above Dying, which is bleak, but I feel like they help me understand my own existence in a way. Enjoyment, as Savina said, is quite a word, but I felt gripped by it and it's also a three. And I will be very much like you, Savina, I'm going to give it a three. I think although it is a very well-formed feature to be, it still has some sections of it that feel like a feature to beat. And this is what takes me away from, from a slightly higher grade over here. But overall, a very worthy film. And I'm really glad it got distribution. I feel like a film like this can be such a gamble for distributors. So shout out to Corazon taking this film to to big screens. We'll start in person conversations. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I was probably a two in anticipation because I do just on like kind of a non-intellectual you know emotional level brace myself for I don't want to be sad and I know that something's gonna make me sad um to me I, to me it was actually fours both in enjoyment and in retrospect I, I I like a gentle contemplation I like something that feels profound and 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 kind of not overly didactic not overly hammering a point home and just really making you kind of sit with like big existential questions so yeah it really worked for me and perhaps is a little more subtle than what we're about to get onto with film club
Logan's run is set in the year 2274, and young residents enjoy an idyllic hedonistic lifestyle within the protective confines of a dome city. Their general belief is within each person turns 30, they are reincarnated into another blissful life cycle. Those who know the much darker truth become runners and flee to a hidden sanctuary. So, Haffer, to me, this is the most 80s film that ever did 80s. Perhaps only Labyrinth <laughs> surpasses it. So this is, your, this is your first time to Logan's Run that is somehow made in the 70s, but also the most 80s thing that's existed? God, I I am so grateful to you all, a little allies, that you got me to watch this. I had a fantastic time with this. I think... It's far from a perfect film, but it's so much fun. Um, one of my earliest memories of being just thrilled and overjoyed by a film is Flash Gordon. I love Flash Gordon. And it just, it reminds me a bit of that. I think costume design, hair and makeup, the special effects, production design, choo, 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 flying people into the world, masks. Are these people part of a conspiracy? Is this technology that evolved? Oh my God, are they near Washington? What happened to this world? It feels very frenzied and very self-aware, which is something I love about films. I love when a film knows exactly what it's setting out to do and then it goes and does it. And hot people, Farrah Fawcett. I feel like Farrah Fawcett should not have existed. I think a person that perfectly designed is a glitch in the matrix. But overall, very interesting. Perhaps, but I also don't get how we have a very perfect satire of Reagan in 1976, where he wasn't elected for four more years. You know what? Cinema expression. Cinema expression. And I just, uh, I think... It's very easy to forget the bleakness of the premise that people jetted off at 30. And then the original book is 21. 21 years. Can you imagine? We're, like, I would have expired so long Lord, ago. I would have been. <laughs> I, I, my 20s were the trenches. Honestly, if you could just, not that I wanted to be ejected at 21, but if they could have skipped 21 to 30, it would have been all. Yeah, but it's just, there's a lot of fun to be had with that dystopian idea. And I think it is a very visually creative film. Kudos to, to Goodman and Anderson in, in bringing that vision to life through the script and, and the direction. I think it was quite the wild ride. I cannot believe how long that film was for how quick it actually felt. So yeah, just a, a fun time at the movies. I had a lot of fun reading the reviews afterwards and just seeing the reception at the time. And as you said, it feels an 80s movie in the 70s. I think it was looking forward in a certain way aesthetically that perhaps the narrative wasn't, but certainly aesthetically. So yeah, a really good time. I mean, Sabine, in terms of like dystopian movies, this is kind of quite a simple one in many ways. It is just kind of got this one broad concept. You are 30, it's over. But was that an interesting enough premise for you to kind of like really make for what is not a short movie? <laughs> no, it was quite funny for me to learn. Everyone in this film is both dreading being 30 and kind of wanting it to start over. As a person who is sown to turn 30 I was like do do I need more reminders of this like how how do I navigate this now but no I think um, the most the most interesting element of it was the familial order so there's no families really and they don't 
know what heteronormativity is. So I like that, you know, I like this world without the idea of a nuclear family and heteronormative marriages, etc. It seemed pretty cool, um, especially when people look like that. Although I have to say the main character reminds me a bit too much of an ex of mine that brings not only happy memories, unfortunately. So I'm not going to hold them to hold this against them, but... Well, may have he been sent on a run at the age of 30? We curse that person. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking too. But I, I did have a good time with it. I did find it a bit overlong in the middle, in the middle act. But, you know, I was sat there strapped for... I was there for the aesthetics, for the beautiful weirdly not clunky effects. I liked the way they moved through spaces. I liked how much ground that was covered in that film too. It's so expansive. I like the expansiveness of this kind of cinema. It makes you feel small. I like that quite a lot. I have to say, I like Michael York very much because both in this and in Cabaret, he seems 60 always to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift. You know, people seemed older back in the day. Maybe that's why a 70s film seems like 80. Maybe Welch Cabaret to me feels like people in their middle ages working through some issues and this is all about people approaching the age of 70 I mean who knows skincare skincare has evolved a lot gosh we're all looking young I'm totally I feel like I know I'm getting older because everyone around me just keeps looking younger and younger half hour as I tell you wrestle in the evening vitamin C in the morning and you're all good yeah and I always wear SPF always wear SPF Layla you were the one to tell me about retinol and I'll it is my faithful. It is the only thing I remember to to put on my face. So thank you. Yeah. We will be in our 50s and 60s and the people of Logan's Run will still think we're 27 and we will live for eternity in this like weird 80s, but 70s, but also 2,274 existence. We will, we, we will thrive for an eternity. Just stretched, stretched across different time planes in all the universe. I like it. I like an illusion of grandeur, always. It does feel that this kind of, like, late 70s, early 80s things where, like, they would create dystopias, but just, like, one idea, like, not fully realized. And they, like, they got one concept and then stopped thinking about it, audience. <laughs> yeah, the idea of a coherent world used to, used to look very differently, which I appreciate. You know, there's more room to breathe and there's space for, for campness, which is pretty cool. In today's dystopias, you don't really get that, do you? Yeah. Actually, I, I can't speak about a film that I recently seen, but like, I feel, I feel like nowadays there is like a little bit more of a kind of, with some recent dystopias about like, oh, how that would affect the fashion and the music that was being played and the sort of like gender dynamics, perhaps, given the circumstances. And there's certainly a little bit of that in Logan's Run in terms of like the gender, but it doesn't seem to like fully be in the bloodstream of the characters that this is like a very separate thread of humanity i just want to say i thought it was incredible that logan just pressed the button and there was a little lift in his house that delivered a semi-naked gorgeous woman for him to have sex with i was like what is happening here I thought it was like incredible stuff's happening here. This gorgeous, gorgeous woman is just entering his house, dressed in a sheer gown, no bra, no underwear. And then it turns out that she's heavily politicized. 
Incredible. In the world of Alden Irish, would that it were so simple. <laughs> Before we move on and wrap up the episode, we've got to do our one last thing. Basically, you guys tell me what I'm doing this weekend. So, Hafa, what is your one non-movie recommendation for people to check out? You know what? I would say to go out in the sun. It is always my recommendation. The weather is getting warmer. Go outside. And if you go outside to a park and you want to read a book, I can recommend Mini Driver's Autobiography, Managing Expectations. It is a fantastic book. I actually got the audiobook, so I had her in my ears telling me her life story. And at the end of it, I felt like we were best friends. It's a very good book, and I have a lot of sympathy for Minnie. I think she's one of the most overlooked actresses of the 90s, and yeah, just an icon. God, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, not that I've gone outside because I am a wretched film goblin that stays inside watching things on my laptop, but I've read that book. It's fantastic. She is an incredible writer. It is a beautiful biography, and her life is wild very good book we love a good biography i'm definitely putting this on my list yes. as well she just has the most beautiful way of writing and she's got the most incredible relationship with water with bodies of water i found that so moving yeah i think it's a very astute and a very surprisingly compact autobiography i think she hits the points that she needs to hit and i was just very captivated by her humor about everything in her life uh even though the the big bumps in her career not to give too much away but those of you who know Minnie's career will will understand and I do hope that more people read it and I wish I could see her in more stuff once again. To have a bit of a mini sans, I would be just the number one supporter. Well, I mean, she's doing fine though. She is on a new plane of existence, just kind of surpassing all of these people just desperate for another job. I mean, we could all dream to have the plane of existence that Mini Driver seemed to be born into it. You know, by the time she was 17. A fab recommendation. Savina, what about you? What are you going to suggest to our listeners? A bit more lucky <laughs> and a bit uh, smaller in size. But I would like to uh, point uh, listeners to a song that I'm very, very much in love with now. It came out, I think, yesterday. It is by Christine and the Queens, aka Red Car. It is called Tears Can Be Soft, which is a beautiful title. It's so poetic. It's um, as usual, or if people don't know Red Car's text, they're always quite poetic and touching and very precise. Anyway, this meld of artistry and mysticism plus actually direct going straight to your heart i love this um and it's inspired by uh, marvin gay so the sound of it is very catchy beautiful it's uh, it puts you in a summer mood slightly melancholy so yeah that would be my recommendation i'd so appreciate that i've got horrible music knowledge and i always need to kind of memorize what much cooler people than me tell me about so then when i talk to further people that know about music thank you very much sabina i'm gonna be able to give them a good answer when they I ask am me what i'm up to but yeah i mean it's it's very tough you know i mean like the music industry is in just as much of a crisis as the film industry is in like you know curating the best about there is like a real service and 
I, I appreciate you doing that for us well, Safina. Just one song. That's all I contribute, but it's a That's good one. That's all we need. It's That's a good all one. We need. <laughs> so if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, Judy Bloom's Coming of Age classic comes to screen with Are You There God? It's me, Margaret. And I spoke to its star, Benny Safdie. Ari Aster uncovers the horrors and Bro is Afraid. And on Film Club, it's more essential dread in defending your life. Thanks very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latifah. And my guests this week were Hafa Salas Ross and Savita Petrukova. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.